Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. ...of our supporters, and we're just looking forward to what God has for us this year. With that being said, I just want to jump straight in, and the message today is the process to growth. I believe that God wants to do a great thing in us this year, and we've really been talking about that over the last few weeks, and early on we talked about how we need to forget some things in 2018, some failures, some faults, our feelings, our fears, some things that we've dealt with, and we need to reach forward. That message you can find online, you can also go to our podcast. Then last week we continued on this whole idea and concept of just what God's trying to do in us in 2019. And I'd like to just go back there this week, and I want to remind you of some very basic scriptures, and then I'm going to lay a great groundwork for what I want to call the process of growth for you this year. The opening text that I'd like to read is Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Most of us, if not all of us, have heard this. Again, Jeremiah 29 and 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. I've got thoughts of peace and not of evil. I've got thoughts to give you a future. I've got thoughts that are hopeful. There's hope for you. Now, this is pretty encouraging because when Jeremiah was prophesying this, This was something that was going to be ministered to folks that were in bondage for 70 years. And God said, hey, I want you to tell my people that though they are struggling and it seems like there's nothing else for them, that my thoughts towards them are thoughts of peace and not of evil. Because what happens a lot of times when we're going through something for a long period of time, we begin to question ourselves and ask Is this really meant from God? Am I going to stay here? Will I ever get out of this? Maybe these are the cards that God has dealt to me, and this is my future. I had mentioned to you just a few weeks ago that we need to make sure that we don't think that God is constantly dealing us bad cards. And Jeremiah prophesied and said, hey guys, I want you to know something. Even though your life is difficult, I want you to know that God has thoughts of peace for you, not of evil. I know that things are difficult, but I want you to know that God has a future for you, and your future is looking pretty hopeful. And I just want to say to you today, you may have been in a situation for a long time, and you wonder, is there anything else for you? And I want to say to you, just like Jeremiah said to the people of bondage, that God's got a future for you, and it's hopeful. He's got something great for you, and you can smile about it. Jesus echoed and said something very similar in John 10 and 10, and this is another passage that we all know, at least most of us, and it is a thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. And what that means is he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your dreams, your hope, your future, your faith. He wants to get in the middle of everything that God's trying to do in your life and ruin it. He wants to cause depression and anxiety and fear and overwhelm you with all kinds of things that you cannot even begin to see what God has in store for you because you are overwhelmed by everything the enemy is throwing your way. And Jesus says that the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come that you may have life 
or as Jeremiah said, hope in a future. I want you to know that Jesus came that you can have life. I don't know if you feel like you're living today, but he wants you to live. God wants you to live. Jesus came and lived and died that you could live today. And then it says that he doesn't just want you to live. He doesn't want you to just have life, but he wants you to have life and have it more abundantly. What that means is he doesn't want you to just scrape and barely get by, but he wants you to be full and running over, as it says in Psalms chapter 23. He wants your cup to be full and running over. Can I tell you today that Jesus wants you to be full and running over? Yes, joy, peace. He wants you to be full and complete. Jesus came to give us life. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us a life that is full and blessed. Let me make this more personal to you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you a life that's full. He wants to make you blessed and running over. We must know Just as he spoke this prophetic blessing over the Jews through Jeremiah, I believe that he's speaking this prophetic blessing over us. That our future is bright and hopeful. As I mentioned before, 2019 can be bright for you. The purpose of today's message is to prepare you and to prepare myself to get ready for God's blessings and his increase in our life. So I want to open up out of Genesis chapter 2, and and I'll be honest with you, I I was thinking, and I'm like, Lord, what am I supposed to share today? And I share this many times. Often it gets difficult for a pastor who's been preaching to the same people for 10 years to preach a new message or to not preach something he's already preached or to have a fresh word. And, and it always just blesses my heart because after service, I often hear people say, Pastor, that was for me. Man, that was an on-time word. And, and you know, just God is so faithful. And sometimes I wonder if the word is on time and, and God reminds me oftentimes it is on time. But I say that to say this, I was sitting and just thinking, Lord, what do you want me to share? And and it was like immediately he prompted me to go to Genesis chapter 2 and to give you all a message that is about the creation of heaven and earth and the six days mankind and specifically when the shrubs, the vegetation, and man was created. And that's what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes, okay? So Genesis chapter 2, looking at verse 5 through 7, it says, No shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth, And there was no man to work the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed breath of life, the Holy Spirit, into his nostrils. And then he indeed became a living being. He became the man, Adam. 
The reason I share this with you today is because this is very important. Genesis 2 verses 5 through 7 gives us a very great understanding of what we need to do to prepare for God doing something great. This scripture is giving us the process of his blessings. Before we get started, I want you to know that God wants to reign in each of our lives. He wants to reign in two ways. He wants to reign in the R-E-I-G-H-N, reign, G-N, reign. That means he wants to be sovereign over everything that we are. He wants to be Lord. He wants to reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign, right? But he also wants to reign, R-A-I-N, down on us. But before he can reign R-A-I-N, we need to make sure that we're letting him reign and be sovereign in us and for us and through us. If you look at this scripture here behind me, in verse 5, it says that there was no shrub of the field that has yet appeared on the earth and there was no plant of the field that had sprung up. The first thing that I want you to see is in Genesis chapter 2, before God created man, he first created the earth. The Bible says in Genesis 1 and 1 that in the beginning there was the earth and the earth was there and it was empty. It was void. There was nothing on the earth but the Spirit of God hovered the earth. And then in chapter 2, we start reading about how we see that all of these things have been created. He is now creating, but yet he had not yet brought forth vegetation. How many plants were on the earth in Genesis 2 and 5? Somebody say it out loud. None. Thank you. For a couple of y'all like, this is a trick question. I can't answer. It was actually really simple. So let's try this again. How many, how many plants were in the earth in Genesis chapter 2 and 5? None. How many, how many trees? None. There, there was none. There was nothing. Okay, so here's what I, I need you to get real quick. Is in the beginning after the earth was created that there was an earth that was sitting void, empty, no vegetation, no plants, no fruit trees. There was absolutely nothing. That's what it says, right? Y'all see that? There was no, there was no, there was no shrubs. There, there was no plants. Nothing had sprung up. Now, now here's what I want you to see for just a moment is that the earth had not yet prospered. When you think about fruit, you think about blessings. You talk about fruit. You, you talk about produce, you, you produce or, or producing. When you, when you think about harvest, you, you think about it producing something. So, so what I need you to see is at this point in Genesis chapter 2 and 5, the earth had not yet produced anything. Everybody say Amen. The earth had not yet sprung up anything. In Genesis 2 and 5, there is nothing that has yet been produced or no fruit. Nothing has come. Has anyone been living a life and sometimes in your journey, you feel like there's not a whole lot of fruit? You feel like there's not a whole lot of produce. You feel like the harvest that the word of God talks about isn't equaling the harvest in your life. If that's you, you're in a Genesis chapter 2 and 5. Well, I'm about to talk to somebody today. 
See, because here's the reality. We all get to this place in our walk where we begin to ask ourselves, where's the fruit? Where's the vegetation? Where's the harvest? Why am I not reaping? Where is it at? And, and this is, is really symbolic because the Bible says that you, that you will tell a tree by the, what? Fruit it bears. You, you know in Genesis, or Galatians 5 and 16, it says that we are in the Spirit and we will produce the fruit of the Spirit. So we should have evidence or proof, or confirmation, or validation of our walk with God, and it's called the fruit of God. But a lot of us are fruitless, not fruitful. But God said be fruitful and multiply, and here we can't produce a little fruit, and it's talking about we're to be fruitful. A lot of us are like this, the, the earth in Genesis 2 and 5, it's been created but we're not yet fruitful. See, God had not yet allowed the fruit to come forth. You know why? Because the rain hadn't come forth. Look what it says. No shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth. No plant of the field had sprung up. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth. And there was no man to work the ground. God had not yet allowed it to rain because the earth had not yet had a man to cultivate it. I'm going to ask another question. Most of you won't answer. What was the reason that there was no vegetation or fruit or produce? There was no rain. Needed rain. You cannot produce fruit without the rain of God. That's why the Bible says all good things come from above. Because every good thing that there is comes from God. And without God, there's nothing good. The earth needed the rain of God to produce the fruit of God. And because there had not yet been any rain, there was not any fruit and the reason that there was no fruit is because there was no rain. But the reason there was no rain is because there was no man to cultivate the land. So if you kept reading beyond that and it says that there was no man to work the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Now what this is telling us is that before God ever allowed it to rain, the earth was supplied water through an irrigation system underground. Today we call it underground springs. We know that we can tap into the ground and then we can get water, right? See, so let me explain it this way. If there's a drought, everything is going to what? Die. Dry and die, right? Isn't it funny that even though you can drill down and get water from the earth, all the vegetation still dies without rain, because the water in the ground is not enough to produce the vegetation that we need. They're different. 
Isn't it amazing that you got the Mississippi River right here? You can live on a beach. You can live near the water, near a lake. But if a drought comes, everything dies, even though there's water all around. That's because the vegetation needs the rain from heaven. And before it ever rained on the earth, God supplied just enough water to the earth through a natural irrigation system underground. And the author of Genesis calls it a mist that went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. What I want to call this is just enough water to keep the earth together, but not enough to produce fruit. See, there was no man to take care of the ground. And since there was no man to take care of the ground, the rain of heaven could not come. Therefore, God produced just enough grace through the mist to keep the earth okay. But it never became fruitful until the rain came. If you keep reading Genesis chapter 2, you will see what the scriptures say is after Adam was created, then God allowed it to rain. God did not allow the rain to come before Adam was created because there was not yet a man to cultivate the ground. See, God understands the process of something being cultivated before it gets the rain. Can you imagine that if God would rain on the earth before there was a man to cultivate it? I'd like to think that it would be filled with apple trees and orange trees and blackberries and blueberries and strawberries and sunflowers and all the beautiful landscape that our world offers. But can I tell you that what would also come is thorns and weeds and it would be overwhelmed with beauty, but the overwhelming beauty would keep overwhelming, and then one sunflower would choke out the other sunflower because they're too close together. Because every great farm needs a cultivator. It needs a farmer. It needs someone to take care of, care of it and uproot ones that are too close, pull weeds that are around, and really take care of it. And I say this because if God would have allowed it to rain too early, it would have started off producing great fruit, but it would have ended up killing itself. Much like some of us. We keep praying that God rains on our lives, but he's not raining because you're not ready for the rain. If he starts producing fruit in you too early, it'll just choke yourself up and kill you. He knows that now is not the time that he needs to work some things out in you. See, many of us have not yet prospered because God has not allowed it to rain in our lives. You say, well, I'm a little bit confused because I've got the grace of God in my life. I'm walking with the Lord. I love the Lord. He uses me. He favors me. He anoints me. I teach. I preach. I go to, I go to work, and people love me. I, I'm loving. I minister to people. I've got great relationships, a great, a great marriage. I've got great children, whatever, right? And, and you're talking about all these wonderful things that you have, and you're like, I, I don't get it. But, but here's the reality. We run the risk of relying on a mist from God rather than the rain from God. 
God does not want you to scrape the bottom of the bucket and barely have enough to get by. Your anointing isn't supposed to run out every Saturday night and you got to get a refill Sunday morning. Oh, I'm talking to somebody right now. See, the anointing of God that's on our life is supposed to be bigger and deeper than what a lot of us have, and we are confusing a mist and a rain. See, when God gives you the rain from heaven, it produces fruit and lots of fruit. You become fruitful and multiply and multiply and multiply again. And you become like the psalmist in Psalms 23 who says, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. See, when you are walking in the rain of God, you're not looking for the goodness of God to come to you because you know it's already coming see a lot of us have gotten confused the mist and the rain and here's the thing about it if you were living on a mist but have never lived on a rain you wouldn't know it see because the earth only knew what mist was it didn't know what rain was therefore it was okay with mist matter of fact it was happy with mist because it was dry before mist ever showed up and some of us were dry dead beats no good for nothing and we experienced the grace of God and his mist began to began to minister to us and complete us and anoint us and saturate us and now we feel good and we're like woo this is good but the thing is is God is saying I don't want you to stop at the mist because I want to rain I've got more for your life I don't want you to barely get by. I've got more for you. Yes, I celebrate you that you don't use drugs anymore. Yes, I celebrate you that you don't drink alcohol anymore. Yes, I celebrate you that you work a job from 9 to 5. Yes, you got all your bills current and you ain't in debt. But I want to reign in your life. That's a miss. That ain't nothing but a miss. I I, want to reign in you so deep and so heavy. I want to saturate you. I want to soak you with the presence of myself that you will do things that you never, ever, imagined you would do that's why he said eye has not seen ear has not heard nor has it entered into the hearts of man the things that God has in store for us but you can understand the mist but you don't understand the rain See, because when God reigns in you, everything begins to change. Your family's set free. Relationships are restored. Your mind is given back to you. You've got peace like you've never had it. You lay hands on the sick and they're delivered. You speak to that demon and he flees. I'm telling you that God wants to reign in us, but we've gotten happy with the mist of God. God will only send the rain when we're ready to receive it. we got to be ready to receive it. See, many of us have not seen the fruitfulness that we've wanted. We're seeing stuff, don't get me wrong. We're saved and we love God. We're in relationship with him. The anointing's on our life, don't get me wrong. But don't ever let the enemy tell you and you believe it that the anointing is the anointing and the anointing can't change because that's not true. 
God gives us greater anointings for greater seasons. And he's constantly willing to dose you with more grace and more provision and more outpouring. And and don't think this is it because this ain't it. Because God is willing to do more. And we need to simply say, Lord, I don't want to just stay where I'm at. I want you to do whatever it is you want to do in me. And if I'm living on a mist, Lord, reveal it to me. Because I don't want to barely get by. I want you to fill me up and overflow and rain and saturate, 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 saturate me, Lord. Saturate me, Lord. Saturate me, Lord, with your presence. I want you to ring me and stuff drips out. See, many of us haven't, haven't experienced the prosperity of being fruitful and multiplying and our cups being filled and running over. And the reason that is is because he's not rained like he's wanted to. See, God will only send the rain into our lives when we're ready to receive it. See, some of you, some of us, even me, we're living on a mist, but we're anticipating the rain produce. You cannot expect the provision of God and sort and, and by way of rain when we've not got the soil ready. And, and we cannot expect the fruitfulness that the rain brings when living on a mist. So it's kind of like we've got these dreams, but the problem is, is your dreams are rain dreams. But you got a misty life. How, how could we ever see God do the, the impossible, the radical, when we're living on a mist? It's kind of like when I went to go buy a Christmas tree at Christmas, and, and every year we go cut down a tree, and we go over to um, Eckert's, and, and we keep wanting to buy a fir tree. The fir trees are the ones that have those real short needles, and they smell real good, and, and you put them in your house, you know, the Douglas fir, and, and it just, it's just completely just fills your room with that presence, that, that smell, that, that, that pine smell. And I asked him one year, I said, what's going on? Why you only got these fir um, um, pine trees, these white pine? I don't want these white pine. I want a fir tree. And he says, the problem is, is we can't grow the fir trees here. Can I tell you that they're pretty smart not to plant thousands of fir tree seeds because there's no way that they're going to reap or produce what they want. The ground's not made for it. The weather's not conducive to that tree. The only thing that they can make or grow and sell are white pine. I say that because some of us need to be honest with ourselves and say, what are those things in my life that I keep sowing and believing God for, but there's no way in the world that I'm ever going to get it? Why is it that we keep sitting back and praying and believing and anticipating for these big old rain dreams, but we only have missed prayers?
Look, I, and I'm not just speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself because a lot of times I know the biggest thing that's getting in the way between me and those dreams that are so big is myself. And I need to figure out a way to go beyond the mist and dance in the rain. God's got more for us, and, and really we need to understand that today, and we need to say, self, if you want to encounter the dream that is so big, you need more than the mist that you're living on. See, the mist of God is simply come to church, paying your tithes, giving some offerings, helping some people out, not drinking, not smoking, not cussing. Not smoking. Man, that's it. You know, you're a good Christian if you do that. And you're real good if you start telling people not to get tattoos. Now I'm just messing. <laughs> Take your earrings out. Instead of wearing eight on each side, you're just going to do one now. Maybe you might even get the clip ones if you get real holy. <laughs> but, but all this stuff that we do, you, you can do that in a mist, on a mist. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further and say you can do that without Jesus. Oh, that, that's kind of, oh, can you really? Oh, yeah, I know a lot of good people in the world. They don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't get high, they don't do nothing, and they don't want nothing to do with Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul said, examine yourself to, to, to make sure you're in the faith. Because we can do lots of great things that look like God, but it may not be God at all. Oh, so many people come to church and they're just tired of being a drug addict and an alcoholic and, and being mean and ugly and hateful and they're ready for something different and they come in these doors, they never make a commitment to Jesus or maybe they think they make a commitment to Jesus, but really the only thing they're doing is being a quote unquote good person. There's lots of good people who come to church, but they don't have the reign of God. And there's lots of people who got enough mist to make them good, but not enough rain to do something great. And, and I think if I had to summarize real quick, I would say that mist does just enough to get us by. But the rain begins to knock and open up heaven's door. And, and it brings the prayer of Jesus to earth where he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you have the reign of God, you begin to knock on heaven, the door swings wide open, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and you begin to do things you never thought you could do, you begin to accomplish things you never even thought you could accomplish because the anointing of God is in and on your life like never before. Just want you to know that there are so many Christians who come to church every single Sunday who solely live on a mist of God and they've never experienced the fullness of God. Can I tell you that God will only pour down heaven's blessings when he knows we are ready to receive them? You know, if I kind of compare it to these big corporations, you would think when you see a company like Sprint or AT&T or Charter, Spectrum, whatever, you, you would think that they would have people on call around the clock 
and that they would always have the same information from department to department, and they'd all be looking at the same database, right? And that you wouldn't get one answer in this department, transfer to get another one in this department, then get hung up on, and no one even calls you back, but they say they will because they asked for your information in the beginning. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And, and, and you wonder, how, how is this possible? How, how is this possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. They grow so fast and so quick, they can't even keep up with it. And it becomes their downfall. It's dangerous. Some people believe that it's one of the biggest blessings to grow very quick. But a lot of people tell you one of the worst things that could ever happen to you is to grow very quick. Because you don't have time to put things in place, procedures, processes, structure, preparing for what things may come down the line. You know, look, I got four kids, but I thank God that I didn't have four at one time. Or my wife had four at one time. You know, you get it. If I had four at one time, we'd be rich, all of us. I tell you that right now. Diver City be full, bro. Every Sunday, Monday, too. Every day of the week, we'd be full. I wouldn't be preaching. I just, we just open up one of those uh, Ripley's, believe it or not. I'd stand up front <laughs> with, my t- with my four babies. But uh, I, I, I say that because I thank God that I didn't have four at one time because four overwhelmed me, and I've had 11 years of practice. Can you imagine having four, boom, like that? No, right? And, and, and really, you got to understand that this is how God, God understands and knows what's best for us. Everything God does, he does with the process. He could have created the world immediately and everything be done. One day, boom, everything done. But he didn't. Everything had a process. Everything had a purpose. Everything that God does makes sense even though we don't understand it. He knows what he can give us. And if God would pour down his blessings on us too early, we couldn't handle it. Either the weeds of life would choke it up, or one blessing would um, consume the other, other blessing and we couldn't handle it all. We need to mature. See, many times people don't see the blessings of God because they don't take time to work on themselves. That's what I want to call cultivating. Just like God needed Adam to cultivate the land before he could allow it to rain, God needs us to cultivate our hearts before he can allow it to rain. See, we need to properly prepare ourselves for the reign of God. If we want God to reign, which I think almost all of us do, we have to cultivate the soil. Let me say it again. If you want God to reign in your life, you need to cultivate your soil. Jesus spoke about this soil in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. He said that the growth of the seed was determined by the soil by which it was planted in. It was four people he was talking about. He said there was the person that the the seed got sown on the rocky ground. The bird came by and just took it, ate it up. The seed that was in soil that just had very little depth to it, scorched by the sun because it had no depth. Then there was the soil that was a little bit deeper and healthy, but it had weeds around it that choked it up. But it was only one person that was considered good soil, and this was the one that had cultivated their heart. They had prepared the soil 
the, 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 the seed had been planted. The bird couldn't snatch it away. The, the heat couldn't scorch it because it was too shallow. And there was no weeds around it because it got rid of all those people in their life. And now this seed is able to grow and be healthy. Why do I say this to you? I say this because I need you to know for a moment that the soil is our hearts. We control our soil. Oh, man, this is kind of messed up. So what you're telling me is my destiny is kind of in my own hands. What you're telling me is how much God does or doesn't do really plays a lot with me. Not completely because God's grace is amazing. He's always giving us things we do not deserve. But let's not be confused or deceived and think that God is not waiting for our soil to be ready for rain. God is so amazing and so gracious and so kind that he knows what we can handle. You know, there's a scripture that comes to my mind, and I did not look it up. It did not come to my mind at that point, but it talks about God's blessings that he gives to us is without sorrow. Look it up. Not right now, later. God's blessings are without sorrow. Why? What does that mean? It means that when God gives us something, it's not going to be full of troubles, Because when God gives us something, he knows we was ready to get it. So what does that mean? What that means is if you've gotten something that caused sorrow, then it wasn't from God. Well, give me an example. I'd love to. Car note that got repoed. But but I thought that was the dealer that hooked me up. Oh, he was a dealer, all right. Right? And, I, and I, look, I'm sorry, why? Because a lot of us have had repoed cars, and you think, oh, but you're talking about me. And um, look, look, how many of us can be honest and say there's things that we thought were from God, we testified about them, only for those very things that we thought were from God to cause us trouble? Relationships. You know that was to be your wife. You knew that was to be your husband. Backstab. Cheated. Abandonment. Right, I mean, well, I, right, because it, it's, it happens to us. We're, we're human. How many, I, all the time I'm thinking, I got an idea. I think this is the Lord. I think this is the Lord. I think this is the Lord. And, and many times I miss it. You know why? Because we're human. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitful. Above all else, our hearts are deceitful. Sometimes we think we're doing something God wants us to do, but sometimes it's not of God. Why do I say this? I say this because when God reigns in your life, it doesn't come with trouble. So if you've gotten things and you thought they were God, but now there's trouble with it, it probably wasn't God. Now, I'm not saying it was the devil. It could have been your mother-in-law. Amen, Pastor Ray. It could have been your mother. It could have been you. Yes, that's what it is most of the time. It's you. It could have been your intimidation, and you gave in. It could have been lust. It could have been your, your, your desire to be rich. Whatever. I just say this because I want us to see for a moment that God wants to give you the greatest, most radical things that you desire and want. But a lot of the reasons you haven't got them yet is because God is saying, I love you so much that I can't give you what you want now because you're not ready for it. 
And then some of us, it's not that we're not ready for it. It's that we have not yet relied on the rain. We're living on a mist. Now that I've given the entire sermon, I want you to know that I've not given any points. That was all out of my head. Now I got seven points. No, I'm just teasing. I got three. But I said seven first because then three sounds better. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I mean, you learn this. You, this is like one of the tricks you learn early on in, in preacher school. They kind of tell you, you know, I mean, if you, if you realize you're going way long and the people's kind of out of it, just tell them like a real far out time and then bring it back in and you'll make them feel real good again. So hopefully I pepped you back up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Snow kind of did something to me. All right, we're going to try to go fast, okay? All right, here we go. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. Really, three points, okay? Uh, Jeremiah, he's like, this dude is serious. Jeremiah 18, I'm going to go fast, for real. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down from the potter's house and saw him working on the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as he seemed best. This is Jeremiah 18, 1 through 4. 18, 1 through 4. Now, this is what I want to call God molds. And this revelation came to Jeremiah. He says that God instructed him to go down to the potter's house. He got to the potter's house. He goes inside and he sees this potter forming the clay. And as he sat there and formed the clay, he got a word. And the word that he got from God was, God is the potter. My people are the clay. And I am working on them. You may not like how he's working, but I'm working on them. He's shaping and working. Then Jeremiah goes and delivers a message and says, hey, guys, I want you all to know something. You may feel like you don't appreciate who you are or what God's doing, and you wish God would make you a different shape and do something different with you. You were all together. You were formed beautifully, and you thought you were done, and then, boom, the potter decided to start over again because there wasn't something right in the piece of clay he was making. And God told me to tell you that he's the potter, you're the clay, and that he's forming you. Don't be upset that the piece of clay isn't done yet. Be happy that you're still in his hand. Oh, I just told some. Look, we need to stop complaining that he ain't done and just be thankful that we're still in the hand of the potter. We need to say, Lord, I'm not where I want to be. I wish I would have been done a long time ago. But I am thankful that I'm still in your hand. Oh, yes, I can tell you that Isaiah, about 150 years before Jeremiah, said something very similar. He said in Isaiah 64 and 8, but now, O oh Lord, you are our father and we are the clay. You are our potter. And we are the work of your hand. I could tell you in Romans chapter 9 where the author is writing the epistle. And he says, but indeed in verse 20. Oh man, who are you to reply against God? Who are you to say that you've not made it fast enough? You wish you were something else. Why, isn't you, why aren't you getting the things you want to get? Do we really have the right to reply against God? 
Will the thing that formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter, the potter, the father have the power over the clay? Can't God do whatever God wants to do to us, in us, and through us? From the same lump to make one vessel of honor and another vessel of dishonor. And essentially what the writer is saying is God can do in us whatever he wants to do. Whether I'm a hand or a foot, a mouthpiece, a pulpit ministry, or behind the scenes cleaning, God, I am willing to be whatever it is you want me to be. Because God is the one that molds. And we will not see the release and the progress and the growth and that supernatural favor and anointing until we become okay with who God's molding us to be. The second thing is, is God hammers. Not only does God mold, God hammers. Look in Exodus chapter 25, verse 17 and 18. It says, make an atonement cover of pure gold. This is talking about the mercy seat. It says, I want you to make this mercy seat, the cover of pure gold, and it is to be two and a half cubits long and a cubit and, and a half wide, and make, it two, and make two cherubims out of hammered gold from the ends of the cover. This beautiful mercy seat sat inside of the tabernacle in what we call the Holy of Holies, and there sat this beautiful piece of furnishing that was made of solid gold, and on one side there was a cherubim with its wings spread open like this, an angel. And on the other side of the furnishing, there was this beautiful handcrafted gold-hammered angel on both sides, gorgeous, glorious, beautiful. And right there in between these two angels is where the Israelites called the glory of God resided. This is where the glory of God, the presence of God was. And people from all over Israel and all over the world who wanted to know Jehovah or Yahweh would come here to the tabernacle to where the presence of God was, the mercy seat. And I say that because the mercy seat where God's glory dwelt was hammered into perfection. It wasn't just gold. It was hammered gold. It was beat down into perfection. See, perfection didn't exist with this gold without being hammered. The hammer blows of life are preparing us for how we prosper in this thing called life. Do you feel like you keep getting hit do you feel like you keep getting struck down do you feel like things continue to hit you and the moment you feel like things are getting better something else hits you I want you to know that every hammer hit of life that God brings your way has a purpose and God is perfecting you and once you have become perfected by the hammer hits of life, seeing it as God ordained or allowed, he will perfect you and the glory of God will be with you as it is with the mercy seat. So yes, God has a plan. Yes, God has a purpose. See, that's why the Apostle Paul was so happy when he wrote about his tribulations in Romans chapter 5. He says, we also glory in tribulations. Glory. Basically, what he's saying is, bro, we happy about when things go wrong. Man, I'm just thankful when things don't go my way. Man, I'm thankful when everything blows up on me. I'm thankful when my bank account hits zero. 
I'm thankful when someone crosses me. I'm thankful when someone tells me that I am inadequate and unable to keep this job. I'm thankful when trials and tribulations come, come into my life. Why, why? How in the world can you be so crazy to say that you are thankful or you glory in tribulations? Because Paul knew something. Paul knew that these tribulations produced perseverance. He knew that every problem in life, every hammerhead, every curveball, everything that caught him off guard had a purpose. And instead of him being with a bad attitude, he had a good attitude and was able to go up in altitude. Remember last week I said that your altitude is determined by your attitude. And when the hammers of life hit you, how do you handle what comes your way? Paul says, I rejoice because I know these things that are happening to me are only helping me. And I know that it's going to produce perseverance, character, and hope. Romans 8.28, he also says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. What he's saying is it doesn't matter what happens to me. Shipwrecked. Stranded on the island of Malta, taken as a prisoner to Rome, people backstab me, criticize me. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I know that all things work together for good. I know that God has a plan in everything. So the first point is God molds. The second point, God hammers. And here's the last point. I told you I was going to go fast. Is God has a purpose. God has a purpose. We must remember that God has a purpose and God has a plan. This is important because sometimes life gets very hard and we tend to think that life is over. Anybody? Nobody? Okay. You know how when it gets real hard and you're like, man, this is, I mean, will I ever rebound from this? Or we begin to think, you know what, I'm just going to make a decision and we make an irrational one. In the midst of your discomfort, you cannot make big decisions. When things are falling around, falling apart around you, do not be quick to be hasty and come up with some sort of decision. We must remember that discomfort will end. Everybody hear that? Your discomfort will end. Your troubles will eventually pass away. See, somebody's got to hear this. See, because the enemy wants you to believe that your troubles will stay, that they won't pass away, and I need you to know that this is a season. Oh, but I've been in this season three years. Oh, well, Caleb was in it for 20. Well, excuse me, 40. Abraham, 25. David, about 20, 22. Joseph, oh, more than 20 as well before he saw the promise come to pass. I could tell you about people all through the word of God that had a word from God and they stood on it. It took a very, very long time. I say this to you today because the enemy wants you to abort what God has called you to because it hasn't happened quick enough. We cannot make permanent decisions in the midst of our temporary discomfort. Closing scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 17. For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
I, I, I need you. I need, look. If you, whatever it does, whatever it, whatever does you best to hear this scripture and get it in your heart. If you need to look at it, look at it. If you need to just hear me say it, listen to me say it. If you need to read it out loud to yourself, read it to yourself. If you need to process it for a couple of days, process it for a couple of days. But I need to say to you again and do your best. Say, I want to get this in me. For our light afflictions, the Apostle Paul. Our light afflictions imprisoned for the gospel, nearly killed for the gospel, taken across the sea to another place for the gospel, shipwrecked for the gospel, criticized and persecuted for the gospel. And all through the betrayal, the backstabbing, and the persecution, the apostle Paul said, for our light afflictions. See, because here's the truth. We begin to tell ourselves that our afflictions are so big, and we throw pity parties, don't we? And, and no one else has it but me, and, and woe is me, and nobody understands, and it's so bad, and we go home, and we sit in the dark, and we're depressed, and we just want, we don't want to talk to nobody who's going to encourage us. We want to talk to somebody who's going to co-sign with us. We want to talk to somebody who sees the same problems and the same issue because you want the same pat on the back to keep on in your same old mess. You wouldn't want the Apostle Paul around you because he'd say, boy, that ain't nothing but a light affliction. So what so-and-so got this? I love you. Jesus love you. I'm here for you. I'm going to pat you on the back. I'm going to comfort you through it. But after a while, we need to go on because this ain't nothing but a light affliction. He says, really, it's nothing but for a moment. A moment, five years, that's a moment. Ten years is a moment. When you start comparing it to the exceeding eternal weight of glory, it ain't nothing but a moment. When you get to heaven and the Lord says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant, come on it. Look, it ain't going to feel like nothing but a moment. We are going to spend eternity in heaven with God, and I believe we're going to have some of the best sweet tea and no diabetes. Can I get an amen? Mm-mm-mm. No GMO, no process, all natural, fat-free, hot fries. Can I get a witness? I got to go use that in kids' church. Oh, yeah, fried chicken with no grease, with that perfect skin, crispy, no cholesterol. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about bacon with no gout. I'm talking about lobster. Feast, eat as many as you want. Why? Because when we get to heaven, there's going to be streets of gold. No more limping. No more pimping. Nope. No more drugs. No more alcohol. Nothing. No more gang banging. No more racism. No more internalized racism. No more prejudices. No more Democrats and Republicans. No more whites and blacks. No more gender issues. You got more power. You get paid less money. When we get to heaven, everything's going to be beautiful. Everything's going to be new and real and wonderful. And let me, it's going to feel like every single day is Friday. And 
then Friday, and then Friday, and then Friday. It's the weekend every day. You're never broke. You always got enough. You've always got friends. No one's going to backstab you. You're not going to have to worry about who's with you and who's against you. Is your money going to run out? Is your roof going to leak? Because God's got everything taken care of, and it will never end every single day. It'll be over and over again, and we're going to sit in heaven at the table with God, and I believe that there's going to be a little voice that says, why in the world did you worry about your co-worker in 1999? Why were you overwhelmed in 2016? Why'd you let anxiety get you in 2019? And we're going to say, man, if I could do it all over again, I'd tell the people down there, don't you worry, because it's only for a moment. It's only for a moment. Sooner or later, it's all going to be better. No more worries. No more problems. And we're going to be with God forever. Your light afflictions is for a moment. Don't you let the enemy tell you it's going to be a long three years. Don't you let the enemy tell you, oh, you're never going to get over it. Don't you allow the enemy to tell you this is going to seem like forever because it's a light affliction and it's only for a moment. And sooner or later, we're going to be in heaven walking the streets of gold. But we need to number our days. Go back and listen to that message from last week. Father, the people who came to service today and those that are watching online, I believe that this message was ordained. I do. I've really felt very, very confident, Lord, that this was what I was to share today. And, And I believe that there's people all over this sanctuary and online who are simply Responding to the challenge to go beyond the mist, to cultivate our hearts and get ready for the rain. Lord, we want you to do more in our lives, and we know that we can't do much of anything without you, Lord. And I don't know where my family is today, but, but what I do know is this, Lord, is that there's many people who are living on a mist. And they need to rain, Lord. If you're online, I want you to just, just type in, I'm ready for the rain. And if you're here at Diverse City Church, could you either join me at the altar or stand up and this is just you saying, I'm ready for the rain. Again, online, I'm ready for the rain. And if that's you, just stand up or come forward. I'm ready for the rain. And, and the second thing is, some of you have been waiting for a long time, and it seems like forever. You don't know if you're going to be able to keep it together for the amount of years that you need to. And and it doesn't seem like a moment. It seems like a lifetime. I want you on Facebook to put, I need to know it's only a moment. It's only a moment. It's only a moment. 
And if there's anybody here that says, you know what, I just, I need God you to help me to know that this is only a moment. If that's you, I'd like you to join me here too. So there's two altar calls. Altar call one is for those who say, you know what, God, I don't want a mist anymore. I need a rain. I want the rain. If that's you online, I want the rain. If that's you here today, say, I want the rain. I want the rain. But then the other one, it's only a moment. The enemy's making you feel like it's a lifetime, but it's only a moment. Soon this is going to all pass away. And, and there's a far greater, more exceeding, abundant, eternal, glorious thing waiting for you. This is only a moment. I want to pray right now. God, first I just pray for us that are living on a mist. We do church well. We're nice to people well. We do a lot of things well. Maybe we've mastered, quote unquote, church. But we want more than a mist, God. And I pray for anybody here that's out there and even those that are here at this altar who are living on a mist and they want more. They want their life to be full and running over. And I pray, Father, rain from heaven right now. We're going to sing, can we sing a song, Let It Rain? And we're going to sing this song in a minute. And you're just going to cry out to the Lord and you're just going to say, God, I just want it to rain in my life. I, I just want you to rain. If that's you and you're like, Lord, I'm living on a mist. I'm, like, I'm doing okay. I, I love you, God. And I know you love me. I'm, I'm, I'm serving you. But God, I don't want to mist. I want to be saturated. I want you to reign in me like you've never reigned before. Or maybe you have reigned like this before and I've just become stale, God. And I'm ready for a new impartation of the glory of God. Sing this. If you're watching this online, just say, let it rain, God. Let it rain. Let it rain. Let it rain. Just sing this out. I pray as you're singing this that not only is God going to begin to reign in your life and, and do a new work in you, but I'm praying that he's going to begin to show you that moments are a moment, that you will not see moments as lifetime, but you'll see them as moments, whether they're weeks or months, that you may not any longer you will allow these, these, these situations that are moments to seem like a lifetime and overwhelm you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray to these bad moments that my family and friends are having. I pray that they will no longer let these moments ruin them. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us and we hope this message blessed you. 